Hello, everyone, and welcome to the last in our podcast series this season, 10 Themes for Investing for Tomorrow, where each month I talk to an investment expert from Capital Group to discuss various challenges and opportunities for investing for tomorrow. Today, we'll discuss the power of a balanced portfolio, and I'm delighted to welcome back Julie Dixon, who is an investment director at Capital Group based in London. Julie, lovely to have you back with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. And of course, this podcast is the last of the series two. We're going to reflect on what has been a very turbulent uh, time. So if we reflect on the last 18 months, analysts have described what's happened in the markets as a sharp V. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think it's pretty accurate. I mean, the um, the speed uh, and magnitude at which uh, both inflation and then the magnitude with which central banks reacted to that inflation last year combined to have a very significant negative impact uh, on the market, uh, in particular in the big technology and social media platform companies. Uh, and then this year, we saw a very sharp recovery, especially in the first quarter of this year, uh, of those companies, with many of them being you know, just a handful uh, driving stock markets uh, in the U.S. in particular. So uh, this is this is quite you know a, a, not a, not not a surprise. We've seen these kinds of V-shaped recoveries before. We saw those in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, uh, as as investors uh, began one uh, selling off the companies which with it then pro- had a profit last year, particularly in the more defensive companies, uh, and then trying to buy up uh, those companies that have been growth for a very long time. You know that it became suddenly very cheap, or or ch- relatively cheaper, I would say, um, uh, this year. So that's exactly what we're seeing now. Uh, but what we're also seeing, interestingly, is the market beginning to broaden out a little bit more. So we've had well, that sharp recovery, um, but the recovery is beginning to fizzle out a little bit, uh, uh, although it's still being driven by again. That's just a very concentrated number of companies. And then thinking about the subject of this podcast in particular, a balanced portfolio and its power. Well, we all know that's the aim for investors. But what does that mean in the times that we're living through right now? Well, having a balanced portfolio can be incredibly helpful uh, in an environment like this because there's still a lot of both macro and fundamental forces that are driving markets, which drive sentiment as well going forward. So it's going to be extremely difficult to know where to allocate, you know, across asset classes, and I'm talking just between equities and bonds here, uh, both in the short and medium term uh, going forward. So one of the things that the balanced portfolio allows us to do, uh, and now that we're seeing the relationship between stocks and bonds reestablish itself in that bonds have a tendency, especially investment grade bonds, have a tendency to be a bit more defensive, a bit more uh, protective of capital, which didn't happen last year because of the extraordinary rate environment we saw. And being able to to stabilize a portfolio of of stocks, whether they're growth stocks, whether they're more conservative or defensive companies, for example, um, and be able to do that and kind of weather this storm through a balanced strategy can really help the investors get through this turbulent period of time. I think sometimes doing very short-term tactical asset allocation moves in a very short period of time at very high magnitude, given that there's still a lot of uncertainty in the rates and inflationary and economic environment could, you know, provide either both excellent, but also very challenging results. So having a nice, balanced, steady, predictable portfolio 
you know, at a time when there's turbulence gives that reliability, gives that resilience that investors typically look for. Yeah, that makes great sense. Now, alongside all of this, of course, we've been keeping an eye on the inflationary environment. How can funds protect themselves from inflation? Well, that's the million, billion, trillion dollar question, really. Uh, And there's a lot of eyes now on especially what the U.S. is going to do uh, with inflation. Uh, Inflation, as we all know, has been persistently sticky, probably more so in Europe and the U.K. than the U.S. I think the Fed has been more effective um, in uh, in tapping inflation or at least getting it under control, but it's still elevated. And that presents, you know, a number of scenarios about what the Fed might do next. Um, but as long as inflation uh, is still elevated, companies uh, that are able to pass on their costs, uh, elevate costs to their customers and therefore protect their profit margins uh, that are able that are doing an increasing cost discipline, uh, around their own costs to keep maintain the profit margins, and even if their revenues aren't growing, to try to get their costs under control. Those are the kind of companies you want to be investing in because those are likely to remain profitable through this environment. And of course, on the fixed income side, you can manage the duration uh, exposure, which is the, the 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 how long the maturities are in your bonds. You know, the longer the maturities, and typically, the more sensitivity they have to interest rates, which are usually the mechanism that the central banks will use to tackle inflation. If you have an actively managed bond portfolio that is able to flexibly uh, react to inflationary uh, outlooks, uh, you might be able to protect yourself a bit more if rates rise, for example, in response to that. So a portfolio that has more defensive equities that are able to uh, create a moat or or are able to maintain their profit margins, uh, that are able to pass on their costs, and to their consumers, and those are usually consumer staples, healthcare, for example. Um, companies uh, usually tend to, to maintain their value alongside interestingly companies that pay dividends. So these are all the kinds of companies that are able to be more stable, a bit less volatile, um, and a bit more value preserving uh, during this inflationary period. Now, you mentioned the central banks there. Do you think that they intervened well to stabilize the markets, in your opinion? <laughs> Well, I think there is uh, a general opinion, uh, with myself personally included, where um, uh, the central banks may not have initially acted soon enough. I mean, I think the uh, the concerns around inflation were already being discussed in the back end of 2019. Uh, we didn't really see interventions happen until after the first quarter of 2020. Uh, and then when they happened, they happened with super high magnitude because it was a catch-up exercise. Um, if you look at what Latin America did in emerging markets, their central banks intervened very quick, early and very swiftly and got inflation immediately under control before it, became, before it latched on and became a significant problem. Uh, in, uh, in Europe, uh, it was much slower. Uh, first, the U.S. finally started acting, then finally the U.K., then finally the rest of Europe. So there has been a very significant lag, and the central banks are having to clean up that mess by having to continue potentially to raise rates in an environment where it's still persistent, in particular in Europe and the UK. So we will have to see central banks continue uh, probably to, to raise rates to, again, tackle this problem of inflation. So let's talk about earnings for investors this year. What's on the horizon? Well, I think it's a really interesting question because earnings outlook has been generally positive, but it, I think it still remains somewhat mixed. 
there's really two camps of companies um, where we believe earnings will likely to be successful. The first one is those companies that are able to cut their costs, uh, that are introducing more efficiency, more cost discipline. Uh, their revenues may not be working, may not be growing that much, but their costs are getting under control, which is enabling them to maintain that uh, profit margin. And we've seen a lot of that happening, for example, in big tech and e-commerce platforms, for example. And that's probably why, in some ways, they've done so well this year. And then you have other companies that tend to be more defensive uh, in this environment. So healthcare, uh, consumer names like uh, Nestle, for example, who have a very strong pipeline of growth and revenues and steady uh, revenue growth around that, and who um, are able to just enjoy, again, having a position where, frankly, they're less cyclical, they're less uh, prone to changes in demand. Um, and where, you know, for example, especially in healthcare, where who are very well self-funded, who have strong cash flows, who are not relying on borrowing or debt at high cost to fund their growth, tend to be more resilient. And then within that group, you also have, for example, semiconductors, which, um, you know, are benefiting from this ongoing supply-demand imbalance associated with the rise in artificial intelligence, sensory technologies, demand for data storage, analysis and transmission, which require computer chips and semiconductors. All of those companies are also enjoying a very strong, steady revenue growth that are not so tied to the cycle. So really looking, identifying those specific companies that have been able to, uh, one, uh, profit from uh, this on-growing, steady growth in this cycle, or who have done a lot of work to get their costs under control, are we view that those companies are likely to do relatively well in this environment going forward, but it is very much a stock picking in the bottom up fundamental exercise. Now, in this series, we've spoken a lot about bonds and the bond market. They're finally paying a yield, which is great. Are you excited about this area when it comes to a balanced portfolio and the long term view? Absolutely. I mean, I'm really excited uh, about the role that investing grade bonds can and continue to play in a balanced portfolio. And this is exactly the, the kind of balanced portfolio that we tend to talk about, is one where the fixed income part of the portfolio is really there to act as a stabilizer, to act as a buffer against equity risk. Uh, and that's where investment grade bonds tend to lie. And so the vast majority, in fact, 95% of what we're investing in uh, or more is in investment grade securities, both in developed and emerging markets. It doesn't just have to be developed markets. Uh, and uh, and for once, for, you know, in I don't know how many years, we're getting yields that are three, four, five percent in investment grade, which is really exciting. So you don't have to go far into uh, the risk spectrum uh, in a portfolio, especially in a balanced portfolio, to find that yield, which is great. So now you have a really nice, well-rounded portfolio of securities that are a little bit of technology, a bit of healthcare, uh, that have you know this really nice um, uh, core. A conservative, stable bond portfolio of investment grade securities, uh, providing a really nice, a steady level, attractive level of income and deal for the first time in many years. So, so that's becoming a much more interesting uh, place, you know, for a portfolio construction point of view. Very strong ballast there. Yeah. And you mentioned fixed income markets. They've also become very attractive alongside the equity market. So give us your projection there. Well, the interesting thing about the bond markets, of course, is that we still, you know, one of the key um, areas uh, that remains uh, a big question that will have an impact on bond markets is one is where are rates going to go? Uh, so, in the, in the and the big question right now, of course, is in the U.S. Uh, you know, the U.S. There's there's several schools of thought 
uh, along, uh, is the Fed pausing? Is the Fed stopping? Is the Fed going to continue to rise? Is it actually going to continue to cut or start start to cut? Sorry, uh, interest rates. Uh, and is it going? Is that going to happen this year? So uh, at the sort of at the sort of the end of the first quarter of this year, uh, the market seemed to be pricing in uh, uh, the possibility of an actual Fed cut in interest rates uh, by the U.S. Federal Reserve by the end of this year. Uh, we're not so sure about that, and the reasons for that is that inflation is still kind of persistent in the U.S., which is likely uh, to uh, result in uh, anything but a rate cut this year. It's more likely we may have another rate increase uh, this year. And that itself could also tip the U.S. into a recession, uh, which would in some ways resolve this inflation problem, probably. So so that will have a, an impact on bond markets, uh, both in terms of U.S. dollar bond, bonds, you know, in, in treasuries, et cetera, but also dollar denominated bonds elsewhere around the world. So, so those are the kinds of things that we're looking at very carefully. The other thing is looking at other bond parts of the bond market that are less correlated um, uh, and more resilient, even investment grade bonds, that are also help create additional bounce against, again, this equity portfolio. So Latin American bonds, for example, have been a very attractive area uh, in local currency uh, that we've been investing in because, again, very high yields, investment grade, uh, and inflation is getting more under control there. Uh, and and so those are areas that that also provide uh, a lot of opportunities. So the valuations around uh, bonds are very interesting. The way the market right now is positioning around the Fed is also creating interesting opportunities because it's usually towards the end of a cycle around these inflection points that you get a lot more diversity of opinion amongst the portfolio managers, and so that creates opportunities in the marketplace as well. So that's how we're we're looking to uh, to position our portfolio. And then thinking forward, as you always do, which sectors do you think might be able to withstand? And of course, you have evidence of it over the last couple of years and even benefit from the slowdown in other areas. Sure. And again, it's really important to know that the way we invest is, again, a very bottom up approach. So many of the sectors that we're investing in are largely the results of the convictions and individual companies that we have. So right now, we have very significant convictions in in certain a small number of healthcare companies uh, that are driving our healthcare exposure to be overweight, uh, and that's largely due to again these companies have very strong pipelines of research and development. Uh, they're largely self-funded through cash, uh, and they have a very you know a very um, a resilient balance sheet and income and profits going forward. In our view, um, the other area that uh, is also very attractive. Um, is in some technology names, uh, and these are some companies some some we own, some we don't own because of, of different objectives in our in our strategies. Um, but but technology, you know, is one of those areas that has done exceptionally well this year, uh, that has uh, shown uh, to be able to provide in some companies a certain cost discipline and efficiency, uh, which is very important in, in this environment in particular. Uh, but it's hard to say. With, but on the valuation side, that's going to be a very important part of. What we look at is, you know, are these companies, they were down quite a lot last year. Are they still attractive now following this rally? So that's an area of focus for us, especially if there's a slowdown. But again, people will not stop using their mobile phones, you know, if there's, you know, if there's a, a slowdown in the economy. We all know that. And we also know they're not going to stop using their social media platforms either. So it's an area that, you know, remains of interest uh, and an area of focus. And then finally, you know, the consumer names. Consumer names have always been uh, a classic 
a bellwether defensive area in the marketplace. One, because they tend to provide you know, interesting and attractive dividend yields. Uh, and in an environment like this, when there's a slowdown and equity markets do turn, you know, dividends provide a really nice way to stabilize returns. Uh, because even if the price is volatile, the dividend yield can provide a much more buffer and a cushion uh, to that market correction if it comes with that volatility, if and when it comes and it is there now. So dividend yielding companies are also attractive. So when you combine dividend yield with uh, with resilience, longer term, more they don't have to be super high, but steady and growing and predictable earnings, uh, uh, and that complemented by a very stable you know, attractively yielding investment grade bond portfolio, that's how you round it out uh, in, in a fund. Well, Julia, it's always a huge pleasure to talk with you, to give us your expert view on how to have a balanced portfolio with a long-term view. And of course, to all of our dear listeners, you can look back at all of our podcasts and listen to them on investments on the Paper Jam Delano Capital Group websites. We hope you've enjoyed this series and thank you so much for being a part of it. Past results are not a guarantee of future results. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinion of that individual and may not necessarily represent the views of Capital Group.